Hi, this is Kirk Reed. Bear with me as we need a little compliance disclosure. In our practice, we give financial advice to our clients. We know their financial situation in detail before doing so. That's generally not the case with callers we speak with on the show. We can't give truly meaningful financial advice because we don't know the detailed financial situation of the caller. After all, we just met. Any suggestions we make to callers are generic in nature and meant to steer a caller in the right direction. Callers should check with their own financial professionals before implementing any suggestions that we may make. At times on this show, we talk about investments and investment performance. Investment returns are not guaranteed and past performance does not guarantee future results. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Happy weekend, everybody. We have an awesome, awesome, awesome show lined up for you this morning. I'm really excited about it. We have a longtime guest of ours, David Tortolot, who's a certified reverse mortgage professional with Homestead Mortgages. Good morning. Good morning, Alyssa. Good to see you. you. Yeah, you as well. Thanks for having me. It's so nice to be back in studio in person all the time. I know, it's been a long time. Yeah, it's been a long time. We do have another guest that we'll introduce in a moment via uh, virtually, given he's not local. And But before we we get there, I just wanted to have you kind of do a background. We're going we're to sure. be talking about reverse mortgages today, and our guest knows everything there needs there is to know about reverse mor- mortgages and has done a lot of research and analysis on how reverse mortgages can be used as 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 a, a sort of a regular or a traditional asset class, right, that can be drawn from in retirement. And so that's um, largely the, the topic for today of utilization of reverse mortgages and maybe like sort of non-traditional utilization of reverse mortgages. Yeah. A lot of people kind of think of them as the last resort. And we're going to um, sort of rebut that today. Um, and so, David, if you want to maybe first just give um, a quick overview of what is a reverse mortgage, and then we'll introduce um, our other guest. Yeah. And I'm going to contrast that with Wade, Dr. Wade Fowles, uh definition too. So my definition is simple. As, as a guy who's in the industry now for 17 years as a certified reverse mortgage professional, and I do these exclusively and have been for 15 years. I used to do traditional okay. mortgage lending as well. I yeah. did my first reverse in 05 and the rest is history. Yeah. I diagnosed this loan very similar to uh, Dr. Wei Fan was blown away. And uh, him and I will talk about that secret sauce, that growing line of credit, um, which is why I'm in the industry. Okay. But, but anyways, what a reverse mortgage is, it's really a way, if you think about all the various accounts we deposit money into, IRAs, 401ks, we earn income yeah. and we disperse the money. We clothe ourselves, we house ourselves, we feed ourselves, we save for retirement. Yeah. So, and we also, we deposit a large amount of money into our homes. Yeah. The first of every month, you know. Uh, so that's a large deposit that goes there. There's deposits that go into other financial instruments. So a reverse mortgage is really set up so that when folks are later in retirement, they have a way now or a conduit where they can set up a reverse mortgage if they're 62 and older and reverse that equity back to them. Mm-hmm. And so a, a lot of people have this mindset that that's a sacred cow. It's because they live in it. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. They, don't, they don't view that as an asset class right. like they view a Roth IRA or an IRA or right. you know, life insurance contracts and such. So that, that's basically what it is. It's a way for people who are 62 and older to put a mortgage against their house, a reverse mortgage. And today we're gonna to talk mostly about the federally insured reverse mortgage. Okay. There are proprietary reverses out there, but they represent a small percentage. Okay. And so um, it's really, and what it is, is you can borrow against your house, have proceeds come to you in the form of a payment. Uh, you can set up a line of credit and have a payment with that as well. You can set up a 10 year payment which is basically a payment for the rest of the time you're living in the house Mm -hmm. and the house remains qualified. Um, And and when the payments come to you, they come to you income tax-free because they're loan proceeds. So Social Security does not identify that as a taxable event. And so it it really just allows people to like, Wade's going to be talking about this, tap into an asset class that we've been depositing hundreds of thousands of dollars into, especially people closer to 62 and older. Mm for years. But a lot of times people will get into retirement and they'll, they feel really good about saying, Hey, I have a $700,000 house with no mortgages right. on it, Yeah, but the equity does nothing for them. Right. It's emotional satisfaction, exactly. not having that debt. It's, it's, it's overhead. It's, it's debt. It's, right. But if for a lot of people, especially in the, in the area of, in, in this area of the world, right? In New England and many other areas of the, of the country, you're, home is for many people your largest or one of your largest yeah, assets. And exactly. so for it to remain untapped throughout retirement um, is, um, well, it, it, it feels weird. It, yeah, it, it, right. <laughs> and, and 
I guess the whole purpose of this discussion today is starting to view equity in the home in a different light as a traditional asset instead of something sacred, right? That that can't be touched or shouldn't be touched or sort of like un-American to touch the equity in your home. So sort of that's the basis of the discussion today. Yeah, and I think, you know, a staggering number is that right now, currently there's 10.2 trillion. Yeah, I saw that number you found, yeah. uh, Of unused equity lying in homes owned by people 62 and older nationwide. Wow, and that's just 62 and older, huh? And for that not to be considered... It's just, it's not efficient. Yeah. And Dr. Wade Fowler is going yeah. to talk about that today. Yeah. Now, I'm not here to say, you know, that reverse mortgages are the right thing for everybody. They're a tool. Right. right. Among other tools. Right. So there's many tools out there. This is just one that should be considered yeah. as part of a plan. It might not be the tool that's implemented into the plan or coordinated with the plan. I would say a couple of things that you obviously got to be 62 and older to qualify. But I would say if someone wants to stay in their home long term or that's the intent, Yeah. then they should consider this, yeah. get educated on it. If they don't want to stay in their home long-term, it probably doesn't make any sense, but they might be able to consider that on the next home Yeah. Uh, since we're dealing with people 62 and older. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so let's introduce our guest. Want to do that? You do that, all yes. Right. You're the one that has yeah. all the credentials right yeah. in front of you, yes. So, I only took about uh, a third of his resume here because <laughs> I think we'd be here for about 20 minutes. We have a 34-year-old gentleman on on with us today, Dr. Wade Fowle. And uh, Dr. Wade Fowle holds a doctorate in economics from Princeton University. He's a professor of retirement income and I believe is the only professor in the US uh, of retirement income. And he's the director of, re- of the Retirement Income Certified Professional Designation Program. And that's at the American College of Financial Services in King of Prussia, Pennsylvania. That's my old stomping grounds. I went to Villanova. We used oh. to go to King of Prussia all the time. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Um, he also serves as a principal and the director of retirement research for the McLean Asset Management. He is a founder, is the founder of Retirement Researcher, which is an educational resource for individuals and financial advisors on topics related to retirement income planning. His research has been discussed in print editions uh, like The Economist, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Time, Kiplinger's, Money Magazine. So uh, his, that's about a third of his resume. <laughs> Do you so, have on there that his Dr. Wade Fowle's biggest fan in the world is David Tortolot of Homestead I'm, I'm one of them. You should know I'm that, Dr. Fowle. I get, I get an email <laughs> from David at least once a quarter. Hey, have you seen this article from Dr. Wade Fowle? It's all about how you know mortgages are an asset class and things like that, but yeah. So Dr. Wade Fowle, thanks for coming yeah, on. I appreciate you. it. It's a pleasure to be with you. I know we've uh, communicated through LinkedIn here and there. I attended your webinar. Congratulations on the recent release of your book, uh, Reverse Mortgages. Uh, And here's the thing, I want to set the stage. So Wade, uh, Dr. Wade Fow, is an outsider. He's a retirement researcher. His job or his life, uh, life job or life's work is surrounded by finding all of the tools, financial tools, and figuring out ways to coordinate them to provide the best outcome financially for people. And so he looked at reverse mortgages, and that's going to be my first question, Dr. Fow. So I just, if you could just set the stage and, and let the folks know as an outsider and someone who really has no monetary benefit directly for coming on today and advocating or endorsing reverse mortgages, and you wrote a 130-page book strictly on that topic, <laughs> how did all that happen? I know it began in 2015, but if you can just shed some light on that. Sure, sure. And this is actually a great question because there's a Boston link. Um, and thank you both for having me on the show. But uh, yeah, back in 2015, Boston College's Center for Retirement Research hosted a meeting on housing wealth. And so I was invited to that. Uh, David, uh, I'm sorry, John Salter, who's at Texas Tech University, he's one of the early foundational researchers of looking more academically at reverse mortgages and how they can fit into retirement. He invited me to that meeting. It was in Boston. And that's where I really first started to learn about reverse mortgages. And most of my research is about just simulating different retirement strategies and seeing how they perform. And I became really fascinated with reverse mortgages. I'd always been trying to write a book about retirement planning, started writing the chapter on housing wealth. That chapter kept getting longer and longer. (laughs) It was actually an entire book. And so that's 
how the the first book I wrote, which was Reverse Mortgages, how that came to be. And that book is now in its third edition with the the most recent edition coming out just in March, 2022. Yeah, and Wei, can you touch on, because I think the third edition, you did something really interesting as you took the reverse mortgage with your simulations, I attended that webinar, and you took someone's scenario as if they took the reverse mortgage out in the 70s, the way the economy was in that decade. You did the same thing for the 80s decade and the 90s. And after all your simulations, you found out that having the reverse mortgage in place in each one of those historical decades, um, really, uh, the conclusion was there was more legacy left behind by having it in place as a way or a backstop and coordinating that with their portfolio. So if you can elaborate on that, that would be great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so that finding that when you use a reverse mortgage strategically, you can meet your spending goals while also preserving more assets for your overall legacy at the end of retirement. That's something we've known for a while since it was really in 2012, Barry Sachs and then John Salter, Harold Avinsky, a bunch of different researchers were looking at the same general problem and started arriving at those conclusions. And that was always done with something, it's called Monte Carlo simulations. It's making randomized stock and bond returns. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that just, well, the, the results are, are fair and, and adequate and, and reasonable, but I think people don't always understand, like, what does this mean if I have randomized returns? So in the newest edition of the book, I, I would just went strictly with historical data. What if you'd retired at different points in history? And we, we're using today's rules, today's tax laws, today's reverse mortgage rules. But what if just starting today, you got the market returns that were experienced from 1970 through 2000 or from 1940 to 1970? How would the different strategies work? And it's always like you had mentioned, there's this conventional wisdom that a reverse mortgage is a last resort option Mm. that you don't really think about it until everything else has run out. You've run out of your investment assets and everything else. And then you consider a reverse mortgage. And I compare that approach to other approaches that are more strategic. No, let's actually incorporate housing wealth into the overall retirement strategy. Let's coordinate with our investments and reduce pressure on our investments. Would that, what kind of outcome does that create? And what I consistently find is it's a risk management strategy where more often than not, you preserve more legacy and and even more so you're better preserving assets in the kind of market scenarios where markets aren't doing as great and where your retirement is more at risk than the reverse mortgage by being used strategically throughout retirement is helping to preserve assets and giving you a a better retirement outcome. And you can consistently see that throughout the historical data. It's not 100% of the time, but it's you know, 70 or 80% of the time you're getting a better outcome with a strategic use of a reverse mortgage. Mm. And importantly, it's the times when markets are otherwise not doing great. And, and so you need something to help manage risk. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm sorry, I haven't read the book. I have to uh, be upfront about that, but I'm sure David has a copy here for me. <laughs> I, well, I, no. have it, I have it right here. Okay, um, so does, does the outcome, I'm assuming the outcome ch- in terms of the amount of wealth preserved, I'm assuming it changes based on if you're assuming the other assets are qualified retirement assets or non-qualified assets. Is there like a broad-based assumption that you're using? Like, are the other assets all of the qualified type where where they're not as tax efficient and taking money out? Or like, does the analysis change? I'm assuming it does if there are smaller amounts of retirement assets and larger amounts of non-retirement assets outside of the home. Can you touch on that a little bit? I'm kind of a tax nerd a little bit. So I like to, uh-huh. those differences there are important though. Yes, this is part of my pandemic projects now. I have full tax models. The, most cool. of the research that you'll find in reverse mortgages, as with everything else, it, it's hard to deal with taxes in practice. So usually all the investment assets are in, say, an IRA, and okay. they're just taxed at some marginal tax rate. Yeah, I've created a full model for the, the new book. So I have oh. the, the case study that I use in the book, that the home is worth $435,000. They have investment assets of $870,000. And that is divided between a taxable brokerage account, okay. an IRA. I think about, I put, I don't remember the breakdown there, but I think about half was in the IRA. And then also they have some money in a Roth account as well. Okay, And they're following tax efficient distribution strategies oh. as part of the, the process. And so absolutely, then legacy is what's left in the brokerage account and you get a step up in basis there. So you get the full value going to beneficiaries. Yeah. 
plus what's left in the IRA. And I do assume with now with the SECURE Act, where you have that 10-year window, if you're an adult child receiving an IRA, you may be in your peak earnings years. Right. So I tax that at 25%. And then what's left in the Roth, plus the value of the home, minus the loan balance due on the reverse mortgage. And if that total number is bigger, then that's what I mean by having a larger legacy after right. using a reverse mortgage strategy. Oh gosh, this is so fun to think about. Um, oh, I had a question and I lost it. Um, I right, have one if going. you want. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, so uh, just in one of the things too, uh, Wade, I wanna just throw out there is I know that when you do this, one of the biggest questions is, yeah, wait, what about the closing costs though? I mean, those can vary between 15,000 and today with the uh, HUD max claim rising to 970,000, could be 28, 30,000 in some cases. And so uh, I know what your answer is, but just to tee it up, I know that your simulations include all the upfront costs and the ongoing loan balance deferring interest. Mm. So just if you can elaborate on that too, I don't think a lot of people understand that. the co- This is net of the costs. Uh, the yes. ongoing, right? <laughs> right. I, I try to, like, I put in the full retail costs of doing the reverse mortgage, and there can be a significant setup cost. The, the biggest chunk of that is the fact that there's a 2% mortgage insurance premium on the home value up to that, that lending limit you mentioned, which is the $970,800 yeah. this year. And, and so that can create some sticker shock, but that's all incorporated. Yeah. And, and really, so... At the end of the day, as you mentioned, I'm not in the reverse mortgage industry. I'm more like retirement research is my mm-hmm. focus. And it's all about like the motivation of everything is retirement risk changes. And when you start spending from an investment portfolio, any sort of market downturn can be compounded because you're having to sell a bigger and bigger share of what's left in your investments to meet your spending goals. And that can dig a hole for your portfolio. So if you have some asset outside the investment portfolio, and in this case, we're talking about home equity. If you can strategically use that to help preserve your portfolio, the impact on the portfolio is so huge that rather than spending Mm. it all down, you can help lay the foundation to keep more of it in place. And, And so that's where, yes, there's a cost to the reverse mortgage, but the benefit to preserving the investment portfolio is greater than the cost so that you can pay those costs and still have a better outcome. And at the end of the day, if you're meeting the same spending goal and providing a larger legacy, you can't really say that's a cost. That, that's It's a net benefit, net of the cost, but the costs are all incorporated into the research. Yeah. I have a couple comments. You mentioned a few minutes ago, um, you know, talking about in your model, the, the uh, uh, person in your model was drawing their income tax efficiently in retirement. I forget the verbiage you used, but they had, you know, a Roth and a qualified, another qualified asset and a non-qualified asset. And they were pulling, um, you know, following tax efficient strategies to pull income out in retirement. The whole, the whole, what, one of the wonderful things about using home equity, right, in the form, in the form of a reverse mortgage is that it increases your options for pulling money out tax efficiently, right? Because then there's, because there's a whole huge, you know, in some cases, huge asset there where you can pull money from it tax-free. Most people don't have Roth IRAs right now anyway that are the size of the, you know, that are equal in value to the equity in your home, right? Roth IRAs haven't been around all that long. I think 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now, we'll start to see Roth IRA balances that maybe are of equal size to equity in the home. But right now, um, the the size of the, the, the real estate asset is most likely a lot larger than a Roth IRA if, if one exists, right? Sometimes people don't even have Roth. Um, and just being able to have a place to draw income from tax-free, um, it just increases efficiency of your income strategy in retirement right there, just in and of itself by having that available. Um, and... and um, Again, I th- I think there's like too many thoughts going yeah, through my head I, that I, I, have and one that I too. Oh, and I keep losing them. But okay, go ahead, David. Yeah. So wait, if we just lay out a scenario, let's say we have someone who's got you know eight hundred thousand dollars under management, and they have this house, say seven hundred thousand, and they took a reverse mortgage out. There was no liens on it, and let's say the reverse mortgage line of credit is three fifty, about half the value. And so let's just say March twenty twenty, when that portfolio lost thirty percent. Um, just can you kind of lay out the reason or the the reason why that line of credit was in place 
if let's say that person was drawing say $2,500 a month as part of their spending plan and retirement from that portfolio, just to kind of let people know, okay, here's how the tool works in that scenario. Right, and so March 2020 is kind of a perfect example of where if you needed to spend money, the reverse mortgage would have been a great resource. And also, I think people were very panicked about the market had been down so greatly. It it did recover quite quickly, but it was down quite a bit. And Mm. I was quite nervous then. And if you were, I I wasn't retired, so I still had income where I didn't have to spend for my investments. But if I had been retired and I needed to spend money, I might have been really scared about being in the stock market at that point. But if I had the reverse mortgage in place, I could have spent from the reverse mortgage and left the investment portfolio alone and avoided that. It's called the the sequence of returns risk. It's Mm -hmm. when retirees have to sell from an asset that's losing value that can create a lot of problems. And if I had the reverse mortgage there, I could have, and I needed to spend money, I, I needed to pay bills and so forth. If I could have sourced that from the reverse mortgage, that may help me also just feel more comfortable to leave my investments alone, to not panic, to, to stay the course with my strategy. And then my investments got that opportunity to recover. And that's where if I would have instead needed to take a distribution from my investments or just because I didn't have any other resource in place, panicked and sold all my stocks in March, 2020, then that creates a huge problem that Mm. I can't really recover from at that point if I'm retired. So that's like a perfect example of where having that reverse mortgage in place may have helped people weather that downturn, still be able to spend, but not do so in a way that permanently impacts their investment portfolio. So so in your models, Wade, I'm assuming you're using the reverse mortgage strategically in periods of time when it's not ideal to draw from the portfolio versus like a, a, a pro rata or a, a some sort of a pro rata draw from all of the assets. Is that sort of the basis of your analysis is that you can use it strategically in times when it's not a great idea to pull from the portfolio? Right, and yeah. actually I do look at both approaches because okay. the 10 year payment is the, and it's 10 year, not 10 year. It's ten, right, <laughs> not 10 year, 10 year, yep. Like a 10 year professor. Yep. But it's that ongoing monthly payment that reduces pressure on investments. So that can work very well. But then there's also, as you were saying, that the coordinated strategy is where some, when my portfolio looks to be in trouble, I'll, I'll spend from the reverse mortgage. Yeah. And I look at both of those approaches and they both consistently do provide better outcomes than oh, interesting. the last resort strategy. Oh, interesting. Okay. And one of the things too, just real quick is that, um, so in that scenario we're talking about previously with that person, March, 2020, if they were taking that $2,500 from the portfolio and they had the reverse equity line of credit, we would not have interrupted their spending plan. We would have just said, stop taking the 25 from the 800 or 550 at that point in time. Take the 2500 from the line of credit every month. That comes out income tax-free, and we'll touch on that too because they're loan proceeds and there's no payment. So there's no real difference from their spending plan during retirement on that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, I, wanna, I do want to talk about... Um, we have to take a break in a minute or so, Wade, so um, why don't we do that here, and then I want to get into... I want to talk about um, withdrawal uh, income strategies and... Um, what I call the cash bucket strategy. I don't know what the technical term is, but like holding, you know, cash in a portfolio to support a draw and how the how having the reverse mortgage in place sort of eliminates the need for that and allows more assets to be invested, right? And and which generally is a good thing in terms of your rate of return. But I we can get into a little bit I want to get into a little bit more detail on that after the break. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's let's take a quick break. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara Reed. We're talking this morning with David um, Tortolot, who's a reverse mortgage professional with uh, sorry, certified reverse mortgage professional That's with okay. Homestead Mortgages. And our special guest this morning is Dr. Wade Fow, whose credentials are um, uh, very extensive uh, professor of retirement income strategies and, a, and an expert on um, analysis of reverse mortgages as an asset. We're just taking a break and we'll be right back. 
This is Mike McNamara. If you're looking for a financial advisor, start by asking him or her three questions. Number one, are you a certified financial planner practitioner? Number two, are you legally held to a fiduciary standard of care for your clients? And number three, do you only give financial advice and not sell investment products? These are all simple yes-no questions. If he or she doesn't answer yes quickly and starts talking, that's a no, and it's time to move on to another advisor. And we're back. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed talking about reverse mortgages this morning in a little bit of a different light than normal, I yes. think. Although we've, no, we've had a show, our last show was sort of on this topic yeah. about sort of a, uh, I don't know, the non-traditional use of a reverse mortgage or um, shedding some light on them in, uh, or, you know, mo- comparing them more to a traditional asset, you know, yeah. spendable asset in retirement. Um, so my guest this morning is David Tortolot, Certified Reverse Mortgage Professional with Homestead Mortgages. Your main office is Hanover, right? Hanover, yep. yes. Um, David and I have known each other. I had said 10 to 12 years. David years said now. 15 years, which sounds like it's not possible. I we're know. so young. We're too young to have known each other in this business 15 years, Just David. turned 55 a couple weeks ago. You so. did? Yes. Well, I would have said maybe 45. (laughs) Um, And our other guest this morning, again, thank you so much for being here, is Dr. Wade Fow, who has a long, long, long list of credentials. Um, He has a doctorate in economics from Princeton University, professor of retirement income um, at the American College of Financial Services. um, And you're also a contributor to the Journal of, no, it's not the Journal of Financial Planning. Which one is it? Is it, that's one of them. That's yeah. one of them. Oh, okay, great. I know you, you do a lot of writing uh, in the industry, very um, well-known, well-respected um, uh, professional uh, in this industry. And I know you've done a lot of analysis on reverse mortgages as an asset. Um, and most recently released third edition of your book titled appropriately, Reverse Mortgages, How to Use Reverse Mortgages to Secure Your Retirement. Um, so again, that's Dr. Wade Fow. Thank you so much for being here, uh, zooming in this morning as you're as you're not local, but um, thanks again for your time. My pleasure. Um, we wanted to, yeah, right before the break, and I, I wanted to spend a little bit more time on this because I think it's a huge, um, um, if not the, maybe the most important uh, uh, reason for this discussion or the most important uh, point that I think I, I would want to make today is that, um, well, let me, let me back up. One of, when we think about someone, a retiree, right, pulling money from their portfolio, one common philosophy or one common strategy is that in order to, let's assume they're taking a monthly draw, right? You know, you mentioned 2,500 a month, whatever the, the, the dollar amount is, is, is irrelevant. But someone taking regular income from their portfolio, uh, a sort of a normal practice would be to hold a cash position in the portfolio. Um, we call it a cash bucket. We're not very formal in our in our practice, but it's it's an income plan or an income strategy, right? It just means you know hold some cash in the portfolio to support that monthly draw, so that when you know a market downturn presents itself, you're not having to sell securities in your portfolio when they're down in value, right? In the world of investing, you want to um, uh, sell high and buy low, not vice versa. So uh, holding cash in the portfolio allows the portfolio some time to recover in periods of market downturn. But in but in periods of, of strong markets, average or strong markets, when you hold cash in a portfolio, you're reducing your, uh, your return on the upside, right? You're limiting your upside a little bit um, in terms of your return by holding that cash position because you have fewer dollars invested, right? And the amount of cash you're carrying, of course, you know, relative to the size of the portfolio, of course, depends on your draw relative to the size of portfolio and also your comfort level and you know, advisor recommendation if you have an advisor. But I, I, I just, I think that, um, but having cash elsewhere or a, another place to draw money from in periods of market downturn would reduce or eliminate the necessity of carrying that cash to support your monthly draw, right? And I think that that's why this discussion on reverse mortgages or, ha- you know, is so important because, having a reverse mortgage available to you, and I guess you guys can get into the specifics about the line of credit, the yeah. LOC, or you know the other ways to, to take equity from your home in the, for, uh, in the form of a reverse mortgage, um, having that available to you is basically like having a huge, 
I, sh- I shouldn't say huge. Not everyone has a huge amount of equity in their home, but it allows you to basically, I view it as like having place to grab a bunch of cash, right? If you have that line of credit available. So if you have already a large cash position somewhere else that you could draw from when markets turn down, then you arguably don't have to carry cash in the portfolio, which allows more of your dollars to be invested and increases your upside. So I think that's a huge um, benefit there in terms of having that line of credit, reverse mortgage line of credit open. And I think that's like the biggest point, right, we could make today is that it allows... Um, it, it gives you more option and allows you flexibility to have more of your dollars invested. You don't have to carry less cash. I mean, maybe that's not the only point we want to make today, but one of the big ones. Yeah, that's a, it's a great point. It yeah. really is. And um, I wanted I wanted Dr. Fow just to sort of, because we have that sacred cow philosophy with our houses, at homes actually, yeah. right? Yeah. So, and I've heard you talk about this, Dr. Wade Fow, is, is that when you when people have all their buckets, their investment buckets, their income uh, spending buckets in their home bucket, home equity. Can you just sort of go through that little exercise where it's very much the same when you're drawing money from an IRA as it is when you're drawing money from your reverse equity line of credit? And because, and I'll let you elaborate on that. I want to answer the whole question for you. It's an account. It's an asset. It's part of our net worth. It's on our We consider it as our net worth, but we're not really considering using it because we feel like it's a sacred cow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, Lisa, it's a great point. And you can actually observe this whole process of what you were describing with Harold Avinsky, who's one of the, the luminaries of the financial planning world. In the 1980s, he talked about the five-year mantra, which was you should have five years worth of spending held in cash. Yeah. And in the 1980s, interest rates were a lot higher. So that wasn't completely unreasonable. Right. You'd actually have some yield on your cash in the 80s. Yeah. (laughs) Inflation still killed it. But (laughs) yeah. But yeah, I mean, as time went on, though, he kind of realized what you were saying that no, cash can create a drag on the portfolio because it just doesn't offer the types of returns. So by 2008, he was more thinking, okay, let's have two years of cash and let's open a traditional uh, home equity line of credit. Mm. Then the financial crisis happened. Bad time to come and to all that those conclusion. Traditional, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The traditional home equity line of credit was frozen and canceled mm. and his clients didn't have those available at the exact time they were needed, which was to weather something like the financial crisis of 2008. Yeah. So then he started looking, well, what can we do instead of holding cash that's what introduced him into this world of mm. using a reverse mortgage. And so he, his 2012 research in this area, his five-year mantra, which had become two years of cash, was now, okay, just have six months of cash, mm. but use the growing line of credit on an adjustable rate home equity conversion mortgage or reverse mortgage as that cash buffer. Yeah. To, that's... To- his solution to it. 2008, well, that, you know, the, the credit crisis market there started at really in an end of 07, 08, 09, early 09. Um, that was, you know, markets like that are, a, um, they change people's perspective on investing, right? It, it, albeit sometimes temporarily, but they change people's comfort level with risk, right? Markets like that and vice versa, good markets. But, um, you know, it, markets like that might, uh, cause people to have a uh, less, again, less comfort level with risk and might want to carry more cash, right? Coming out of a market like that, people might be more comfortable carrying more cash, for example, or their retirees pulling money out. Unfortunately, markets are cyclical, right? So if you came out of the credit crisis uncomfortable with a lot of your dollars invested and wanting to carry more cash to support the draw, post uh, credit crisis market we had booming stock markets right and so and and um, and unfortunately that was not a great time to not have all of your dollars invested because we've had pretty much fantastic markets you know from March of 09 through end of last year with the exception of um, the, the brief downturn in 2020 related to covid um, but, but, you know, markets are, are cyclical, right? And then, and, and so then we'll have these booming markets, right? Where everyone has a higher comfort level with risk and wants more of their dollars invested, especially <laughs> at a period of time where interest rates are almost zero. Um, and, and, and the, but then you never know what's gonna happen, right? This, this market downturn year to date is palatable, right? It's, 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 we're in the single digits right now, um, but in terms of the downturn, but it, it, I, I just think it's interesting how people's, we've talked on the show before about how people's, risk tolerance changes really with markets. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that this is a good example of that, right? Like people probably income or cash buckets, uh, people were more comfortable with them being larger coming out of a, the credit crisis. But on, you know, in retrospect, we didn't know, but in retrospect, um, would have been better to have a smaller cash bucket at that period of time because stock markets have been so strong. But again, having the, the reversed sorry, reverse equity line of credit, right? You call it a relic. Um, Having that in place would allow someone to have uh, more of their dollars invested and less cash in the portfolio, which in the last 10 or 12 or 13 years would have been a good thing in hindsight. We don't know what the next five or 10 years bring, but it it allows opportunities. Um, And I think, you know, emotions are going to come into play a lot in our discussions today as as they do Mm -hmm. normally. Um, Understandable. But particularly, excuse me, particularly today, where you know the, the the research that you've done, Wade, is incredible, right? In terms of um, the, the 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 reasons that people may want to consider consider using a, a equity in their home in the form of a reverse mortgage. But people, and, and part of our discussion today will be, you know, educating people in that regard so that they might be more comfortable using equity in their home. But um, sometimes, like, no matter what the numbers say, people have, you know, it, the home is an emotional thing. It's more emotional than your 401k, I think. It, it, it seems to be, it's just, it's your home, right? It's, it's, yes, it's an asset, but first and foremost, for most people, it's your home. So, you know, I think educating uh, uh, people on this today is incredibly important. And yes, it's a tool that a lot of people should consider in terms of their retirement um, income, but emotions are, are, I think they're just, they're always going to be there, I guess in terms of your money in general, but I think more so in terms of your home. And a lot of people, like we've talked about this before, David, that a lot of people want to pass their home to their family, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it was the family home, and you and I know that most kids sell the house, and uh, you know, all not, of them do. Uh, not, I, I've, I've had right? two in seventeen yeah. years. I kept I the mean, house. Yeah, that's very uncommon for generations and generations to to be in the same home. But I, there, this still people are. Mm-hmm. I want to give my kids the house. Like it's just still first and foremost. And well, the Great minds. Depression, and, yeah. that mantra from then carries through till now. Not necessarily with our generation. Mm-hmm. But my demographic is 62 and older, and my average age client's probably 70, 71. And so there's still that, you know, their parents say, get a mortgage and burn it and get rid of it because they can call the notes due back then. Mm-hmm. During the Great Depression, oh, right, right, if you didn't yeah. fall behind on your mortgage and they had a run on their money, they can call you a note due. And that's what happened today. Wow. Yeah. Unless you're, today. Yeah. they can't call you a note due because of the insurance that's in place. If you fall behind on more, multiple mortgage payments, they can call it due. But that mantra still carries through. Oh, interesting. Until now. Yeah. So everybody just has this thing about having a free and clear home. But, um, you know, I think with me, when I'm 62, I'm doing a reverse mortgage. And uh, just to let the listeners know what that's going to look like for me is about around that time, I'll probably owe about 200000 on my mortgage. Uh, house probably worth around eight hundred and situate. And my wife and I will be 62 around the same time. So I'm going to trade my mortgage into a reverse mortgage, refinancing it. And now I have an optional payment mortgage at age 62. I'm going to yeah. continue making payments because I'll be able to afford it and I don't plan on retiring from my industry. I don't have a shelf life. Mm-hmm. I actually relate better the older I get to mm-hmm. my clients. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I like the idea, there's many variables and, and Wade knows this, when you get into retirement and I see all the variables, death of a spouse and that can eliminate partial income, uh, monthly income, sudden illness, loss of a job, so I want to know that when I'm in, at 62 or older that I have an optional payment mortgage now. So mm. if one of those variables comes my way, I don't have to make a payment and yeah. I don't have to call up for permission for, uh, you know, to, well, I forget what the term is, uh, forbearance. Yeah. Um, but if I have a regular mortgage in retirement, I have to make the payment the first of every month without exception. Yeah. No matter if there's an illness that comes my way, I lose my spouse and lose half the income. So it's for me, it's a safer strategy. Now that's for people, again, that want to stay in their house long term. These yeah. strategies are about people that want to stay yeah. in their house long term today. They're not short term. You don't have to but it's the intent. Yeah. Do I want to stay in this house long-term? Sure. Now get educated and see if these strategies work. Sit down with a certified professional, sit down with a financial advisor, yeah. get everybody on the team together and let's look at this, how the math plays out Yeah. in, in, in hopes of a, a financial outcome that's better 
um, than not having the reverse mortgage yeah. in place. So, um, Wait, I don't know what made me think of this, but how did this, I know you've done multiple, uh, you've uh, published multiple um, editions of your book on reverse mortgages. How the SECURE Act that changed the options for non-spouse right? That's the one that changed the options for non-spouse beneficiaries in terms of how long they had to withdraw retirement money, right? That was the SECURE Act, right? There have been so many acts right. in the last yes. several years. I started losing track. Now we're talking about SECURE um, Act 2.0 coming down the way. Right, right. That's, that was the SECURE Act. <laughs> that, I just was trying to, uh, as David was talking, I, w- I was just thinking like, how, how did that change, that changed your analysis? And it would... So previously, it was more attractive for non-spouse beneficiaries to inherit qualified accounts, right? Because they could stretch those qualified accounts basically for their life, right? They didn't have uh, a shorter period of time that they were forced to draw from. Now, post-Secure Act, which was now 2017, I think that was, um, non-spouse beneficiaries now only have 10 years to fully withdraw qualified assets. So it's less um, ideal for them to inherit qualified assets now which strengthens the argument or, or um, um, if you're talking about passing assets to the generation, now it would be more ideal for retirees to spend down their qualified assets and preserve other assets, equity in the home or non-qualified assets, right? It, that, that's better now, it might be better now. So I'm just curious how your analysis changed as a result of the SECURE Act. Obviously you're still proving that it's, um, that, it, that having the reverse mortgage in place uh, does increase the assets that pass to the next generation, but it must have changed as a result of the options, the more limited options that beneficiaries now have, right? Right, right. Yeah. So there's yeah. that psychological element you're talking about. People just, they want to preserve the home, mm-hmm. but ultimately money is fungible. And I think it's important to emphasize that this is such a huge misconception. You're not giving up the title of the home or anything right. with the reverse mortgage. Right. Rather than leaving the home to your children, you can leave the value of the home to your children. Plus, and then, and then if they want to keep the home, they can pay the loan balance and keep it and still have money left over as a windfall due to the protections to the investment side. But yes, absolutely, the SECURE Act made it less attractive to mm. bequeath or to, to leave behind an IRA account to adult children. Because like if you live into your 80s, say your children may be in their 50s, that's peak earnings years right. when they're going to be in the highest tax brackets. And now they're in their peak earning years and they receive your IRA and they can't do that lifetime stretch anymore. They can't mm-hmm. spend it over the remaining lifetime. They now have a 10 year window where they have to spend it down generating taxable income, which is going on top of their peak earnings labor income. Right. And then it's gonna be taxed at higher tax brackets. And so yes, the IRA becomes less attractive as a legacy tool. And so if you can treat the reverse mortgage to strategically, there's, there's so many possibilities here, but Roth conversions is an option and you can potentially pay taxes on the Roth conversions. Good point, yeah. Because yep. right, the Roth has the same 10 year window, but since yep. it's not taxable income, I mean, to the beneficiary, then it's a much more efficient way to leave a bequest than the IRA itself. Right, right, okay. Yeah. Um, but and I think it it comes back too. So so yes, the Secure Act changed. Um, uh, uh, what's what's my word? It, it it made spending down the home a little bit. Spending I shouldn't say spending down the home. See that's terrible. Using some equity in the home, maybe it it made the Secure Act made it sort of less ideal. But I think it comes back to. Um, using the equity in the home, the reverse equity line of credit as a tool in um, in poor stock markets, right? Being able to sort of switch back and forth in terms of where does your income come from and, and being able to be flexible in that regard when you have multiple options, right? You can draw from a retirement account or any sort of investment account when markets are strong and when markets turn down temporarily, we can switch our strategy so we're not selling things down and then we can take equity from the home. So I think it, even though the SECURE Act changed things a little bit, I think it still comes back to having something in place that you can access when it's not the best time to access your traditional funds. Right, right, and, and absolutely so. The SECURE Act was a tax increase and yeah. being able to use the reverse mortgage both, there's kind of two issues at the same point there. When the market is down, 
source you're spending from the reverse mortgage. Yeah. But maybe when the market, when the IRA balance is down, that's a great time to do a Roth conversion, but you don't want to pay the taxes from declining investments. So also paying the taxes on that from the reverse mortgage can be a way to move more money out of the IRA into a Roth IRA, which yeah. if you're not spending all your assets is a much better inheritance tool yeah. than the yeah. IRA. Yeah. What are you, I, you wanted to talk about reverse equity lines of credit, right? As I forget the term you use, the, that's a relock. they're amazing. Relock. No, no, no. What did you oh, call the them? Oh, the secret though? sauce. Oh, the secret sauce. You well, secret sauce. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, when I get, when I look, when I went to a seminar, Wells Fargo had a seminar down the Cape back in 2004 and I just went down there for the lunch basically with a couple of colleagues and we, we learned about reverse mortgages, but he got to a slide on his PowerPoint deck and it said, oh, and the unused money in your reverse mortgage loan, that you don't owe and that amount of credit increases every month. And I was like, hmm, what does that mean? So, and everybody does that. They twist their head when they hear, how does, the, how does that grow and how does it always grow and why is it growing income tax-free? And so, um, wait, can you elaborate on that? I mean, that to me, that, that's why I'm in the business because that one feature of reverse mortgages where you sort of, it's almost like a put on your home equity, right? You're earmarking that equity at the time you take the reverse mortgage out. And that's in place now, regardless of what happens to that home value after the reverse mortgage is put in place. So I'll let you take it from there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, so the, the growing line of credit on an adjustable rate reverse mortgage is one of those things that it sounds too good to be true. And, and so it's ultimately important to understand what it is and why it happens. And I think it was, this is financial planners are often figuring out how to work with government rules and so forth to, to find new opportunities. We saw this with social security. I mean, we see these kinds of things all the time with tax. I mean, the whole invention of the 401k could be an example of this, but with the reverse mortgage, I think when the government designed the program, they assumed people were going to borrow the proceeds. And so they would have a loan mm. balance that grows with interest. But the really cool <laughs> implication of the rules is, no, you can open the reverse mortgage and you do have to keep a minimal balance. It could be anywhere from 50 to $100, but then 99% of what this is is now a line of credit. And that is growing at the same rate that the loan balance would be growing, but without, it's not interest, it's just growing line of credit. So that if you open it and preserve that line of credit, it's growing so that you then have more resources to spend from in the future. And you mentioned the idea of the put option on the home. That's this idea that once I open the reverse mortgage, it's linked to the home value at the beginning. And then the line of credit starts to grow and it's no longer linked to the home value. And so mm -hmm. if your home value declines subsequently, it's possible that the line of credit can grow to be more than the, the home value. Now, this is less common since October 2017 when the rules were changed with, because before that it was yeah. really possible. Mm -hmm. It's still possible. It's not, not like before. But then it's a, a reverse mortgage is a non-recourse loan. So if the loan balance is greater than the value of the home at the time the loan balance becomes due, you don't have to pay back more than the value of the home. And so you effectively now have a hedge that say my, my loan balance grows to be worth more than the value of the home, I can take that out. And one of the reasons I'm paying all those mortgage insurance premiums is for that protection that the lender doesn't experience the loss. It's paid through the mortgage insurance fund. It's actually, there's a professor in the Boston area who calls that the ruthless option. And that was in October, 2017. It's harder to get that sort of effect, but it still exists and it, it can especially if you have a significant decline in the home value, it can be a way to protect the home value through the growing line of credit. What happened in 2017? Did they limit the amount of equity you could start with? Is that what, what was the change in 2017 that made it harder? They, uh, a few changes, right, right. The initial borrowing capacity, mm. not in all cases, but in many cases was reduced. Okay, yeah. The uh, initial mortgage insurance premium went up and then the oh, ongoing okay. interest rate applied for mortgage insurance okay. went down, which actually helps if you're borrowing, but it, it slows down the, the growth of the line of credit. Okay, yeah, it, it's kind of, a, it, it does sound too good to be true. I mean, if you think about mo the, the traditional home equity line of credit is just a fixed number, right? So people are used to that just being a fixed number that they can borrow. Um, the reverse equity line of credit that grows over time, what, is that a, 
I can't remember if that's a fixed interest rate or is that no. vary with it? It's open-ended loan, just like a home equity line. So it's variable. The fixed, like any fixed mortgage, it's it ends at closing, right? It's a closed-ended transaction. Okay. It's final. Where a home equity line, traditional home equity line of credit is open-ended. It's like, hey, put this credit mortgage against your house and borrow it as you need it, but we're running it on a variable rate, which is prime rate for traditional home equity lines of credit. Mm -hmm. Reverse equity line of credit, you're taking the mortgage out the same way, but we're structuring the reverse mortgage all as a line of credit. You know, unless there's mortgages to pay off, but if no one, if someone comes to me with no mortgages on their house and we're just setting up the reverse mortgage, in most cases I'm setting it up all as a line of credit. And so that line of credit is growing at the variable rate at that particular month. And it's okay. an adjustable rate monthly okay. against the constant maturing treasury index, which is now, we're using our US index on that. But anyways, it's, it, and it's, there's caps on the rate. Unlike a prime rate, there's no cap. There's a 5% lifetime cap on this rate. So as what Wade was saying, as time goes on, if someone has a $300,000 line of credit, you know, in 15 or 20 years, if they took that out when they're 62, that could now be on their monthly statement as 550, 600 grand. Yeah. It just grew. They don't owe any money, but it's grown. What's it growing at right now? About, uh, it's approaching 4%, you know, with okay. your margin and your index and the ongoing insurance. Okay. Somewhere between 3.8 and 4%. So, so the idea was the idea, well, that you're getting older, number one, but getting also that, that generally real estate would appreciate. Yes. By a certain percentage. Two things. They, you're they, aging yeah. every year subsequent to the closing yeah. and yeah. the older you are when you take out a reverse mortgage out of the gate, it, your percentage that you can borrow of your home's value is higher. Yeah. And so that percentage ranges right now between 45 and say 70%. So if you're 62 today, you take out a reverse, you can borrow 45% of your home's value. Okay. If you're 90, you can borrow about 70% of your home's value. Oh, okay. And so, because you have less time to live. Even at age 90. So they still are building in a pretty good buffer there. Yeah. So, you know, they have to That's protect the themselves against it. 70% being... is the max you can borrow okay. uh, yeah. on a reverse. Okay. All right. We just have to um, take a break. That's what the music means. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Two awesome guests this morning. David Tortolot, certified reverse mortgage professional with Homestead Mortgages. And um, Dr. Wade Fow with a long list of credentials, a PhD in economics, uh, uh, contributor to many uh, financial planning publications, uh, book author, uh, and has done a lot of analysis on reverse mortgages and, and retirement. He's uh, only sorry, age 34. Sorry, professor of income planning at the American College of, sorry, American, where is it? American College of Financial, College Services. Of Financial Services. Thank you. Uh, we're just taking a quick break. This is a fun discussion. We're, we'll be uh, right back. <laughs> 